Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of The Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, the fight to master our greatest opponent. About 12 months ago, we did The Obstacle is the Way, and this is the second book in Ryan Holiday's trilogy, Ego is the Enemy. A lot of books out there exist to make you feel good and empowered and special, but this isn't the aim of this book. It's really to slap you up in a few different ways. We're all at different stages of life. Uh, you might be young and you, or you might be struggling. You might have made your first million bucks or signed your first deal. You might have been selected for some elite group or maybe you've accomplished enough to last a whole of a lifetime or maybe you're stunned to find how empty it is at the top. Maybe you just got fired and maybe you just hit rock bottom. So each one of us, we're at a different stage along our journey but for any stage that we're on, we're going to learn that ego is the enemy every single day of the week. You probably think that this doesn't apply to you. You probably think you've got your ego in check and that ego isn't impacting upon you. But in all of those situations you just listed off, ego is probably what got you there and ego is probably going to be the thing that's going to hold you back from moving forward. And I'd say for uh, a couple of blokes or maybe I won't drag you into it but myself definitely got a nice healthy dose of ego. So this is a good book to give you a real punch in the, punch in the guts to tell you to take that ego down a notch so yeah take it in take it in hashtag <laughs> now i've got i've got a bit of it there and if you read it everyone you realize everyone's got a bit of it and the ego the typical definition of the ego is something along the lines of an unhealthy belief in our own importance or even arrogance or just self-centered ambition yeah it's this petulant child inside all of us that's choosing that it wants to get his or her way at the expense of everybody else. It's this need to be better than, to be more than, to be recognized for and it goes beyond any reasonable point of utility in that having more and more ego doesn't make us better and better. In fact, it makes us worse. So this book is broken up to the three different places that ego is going to show up and give you a bit of damage. So aspiration, success and failure and after reading the book, Ryan's plan is to help you Suppress ego before it takes over and by the end of it, hopefully you're going to be humble in your aspirations, gracious in your success and resilient in your failure. Part one, aspire. Here, we are setting out to do something. We have a goal, a calling, a new beginning. Every great journey begins here, yet far too many of us never reach our intended destination. Ego, more often than not, is the culprit. To whatever you aspire, Ego is your enemy. Among all the people who rise to fame, leadership or prominence, there's really two different types of people. There are those who are born with a belief in themselves and are really telling you about their position and those whom it's a slow growth dependent on real, actual achievement. So that first type, you might ask, if their belief in themselves isn't dependent on actual, real achievement and runs on the board, what's it dependent on? And the answer really is, it's basically dependent on nothing other than their, their own ego. And this is why we see precipitous rises followed by calamitous falls because the people rising who are just rising on ego alone, they can't cut it at these higher levels. Yeah, if you contrast that to the people who are based on actual achievement, their success comes as a constant surprise. The fruit tastes more and more delicious and they don't have this sense that it could all just be a dream and it could crumble at any moment like the first group who were just going purely on unabashed ego. One might say that the ability to evaluate your own ability is probably the most important skill of all. 
let me hit that again because it sounds a bit confusing, but the ability to evaluate your own ability and that's, the, that's a vital skill. So, without that ability, improvement is impossible. Without knowing where you truly are, you can never really improve and take the next steps forward. So, whilst it is certainly very pleasurable to focus on your talents and your strengths, that doesn't really get you anywhere except for arrogance and self-absorption, which inhibits your growth and gets you just fantasizing about your grand visions. Instead, what's rare is not talent or skill, but humility, diligence, and self-awareness. So, we need to cultivate these traits, take our ego down a notch, and realize that our aspirations are purely that. We haven't achieved anything yet. It's time to get to work. Yeah, it's very common for everyone out there to just be talk, 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 talk. Not a hell of a lot of work going on. There's a quote by your man, Lao Tzu. Those who know do not speak. Those who speak do not know. He is my man. Yeah. He's a good one. It was referenced in uh, Survivor Season season 5, Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you got to get it. You got to get over your Thailand trip. <laughs> I thought you were going to hang shit on me about Survivor there, but. No, uh... <laughs> Thailand. It's moving to Thailand here. There was a story from the 1934 uh, campaign for the governor of California, and there was a guy called Upton Sinclair. He was an uh, an author, and he took an unconventional route to his campaign. What he did was a couple of months before the vote, he published a book saying, I, Governor of California, and How I Ended Poverty. And he had this amazing book about all these phenomenal things he did, writing in past tense about all the brilliant policies that he'd enacted during his time as governor of California, about how he'd ended poverty, about how he'd saved the economy, about how he'd made the state such an incredible and prosperous place. So he launched this book and it was phenomenally received because he was a great author. He realized that in the written word, he was far superior to all of his opponents. The book actually became a bestseller, but his campaign completely flopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a temptation that exists for everyone for talk and hype to replace action. So whenever you're doing something new, there's always that Facebook comment box just waiting for you and lurking you in or the LinkedIn posts or whatever or Twitter or there's the comments at the bottom of it, of the article you just read. So we're really compelled to talk about the things we're doing all the time. Gary Vee will tell you to go out and do the two cents strategy or whatever and start <laughs> posting on Instagram and documents and not create and all that or posting on Facebook all the stuff you're doing and all this work. And all this showing and talking and talking and talking, but under the hood, there's not a hell of a lot of action going down. There was a funny book recently called Working on My Novel. And what it had was all these screenshots of these wannabe authors who were posting about on posting on Facebook about the progress they're making on their novel. But clearly, if they're posting on Facebook, they're really not working on their novel. Yeah. And, and what Ryan says is that talking and doing are fighting for the same limited resources. If you've got a certain amount of time to go out and do stuff, you're really stealing away by going and talking about doing it. And he even says that whilst goal visualization is sort of a good thing at the start to set yourself up, if you get too deep into visualizing what you've achieved, it actually feels like you've achieved something. Yeah, when you haven't at all. It's like our man who wrote about all the ending poverty and everything. He probably got to the end and sold a million books and thought, <laughs> I've, I've pretty much cured poverty. Exactly. And I've got a, a recent example where I did a lot of talking, not much action, where I thought that the skills of podcasting and doing a podcast about books would be easily transferable to a small side business creating 
audiobooks. And so I thought this is a phenomenal idea. I told people about it, started talking about how I was going to get a few self-published authors. Yeah, to I heard it. I heard a lot about it. What <laughs> their audio books for them. Mate, 10 months of talk, fucking nothing happened. Nothing happened. It felt good. It, it felt like I was making progress. At some stage. I finally took action and I lured someone in and once I thought, okay, I've talked for 10 <laughs> months about this and absolutely nothing has happened. So I actually got a friend and said, I'll do it for free uh, for you, the first one. So I could actually say, "Hey, I've actually done one now." Yeah. And the next day, I got a call, and someone wants wants to buy in. So, yeah. and I see you got a dot point here. <laughs> if you're not going to throw me under the bus, I'll jump under it. You got the the timber <laughs> economics I've been talking about with a mate Ringo. You're right. Like, had this beautiful idea. He's got a few runs on the board in tech, and we were going to go out there and uh, basically survey land with drones <laughs> and work out how much land they're sitting on to grow trees essentially as a plantation to turn into timber products to turn into timber products and to say hey this is how much value you're sitting on in your backyard let us in with our drones and we'll plant and uh, bring down the price of planting trees at the end of it you'll get a cut we'll get a cut everyone's happy sounds great it's really fun to talk i'm enjoying yeah it's basically i've basically done it (laughs) (laughs) but that's it all those like uh the business meetings that we go on or for me you know telling people about the new business i'm starting all this talk we're not actually doing anything. It feels like we're being productive and planning and talking and moving forward. But really, the true achievers, they're the ones who are just sitting quietly in the corner doing their work. They're ignoring their impulses to seek the recognition before actually doing it. They don't talk too much because they're too busy working to do anything else. Yeah, it's very, very easy to talk. There's always circumstances. I was at a party this morning and um, there's someone who loves Jocko Willink, one of my mates, and you know, I was <laughs> I'm doing it now, I guess. But I was about to drop that. You know, we got we might have Jocko on the lo- coming up. We may not. I'd say we're at about a coin flip chance at the moment. But because I read this book, I refrained from saying it to just get that uh, that little feeling of the wind before we've even even caught that fish. I wouldn't call Jocko a fish. <laughs> if we see him live, he'll probably just jujitsu my ass yeah. on the floor. Who knows? That probably doesn't sound good either. <laughs> Moving on, mate. <laughs> Moving on. Become a student. Epictetus said, it's impossible to learn that which one already thinks that they know. So, obviously, if you think you know something, you're going to be switched off uh, and you're not going to be open to learning something new. Yeah, it's it's almost too obvious to actually realize. You can't learn if you think you already know it. Mm. Come across this all the time. You ask someone a question and they've over their last few years, they might, might have found a way to... to Work up on an answer because they get the question all the time. It sounds really good. But as you start learning and approaching the level that they are at understanding, you realize that they don't really know what they're talking about. They've just got an answer that sounds good, makes the ego feel solved and they look good for other people. But really, they put a ceiling on how well they can actually understand something because they don't let themselves have that mini death of what they know to actually say they don't know so they can learn from someone else. And it obviously all boils down to ego. If you've got this ego, if you've got this image of yourself that you don't want to show someone that you actually don't know, if you don't want to look stupid, you're going to say, yeah, of course I know that and then you're never going to learn. You need to slay the ego. You need to be willing to admit your ignorance in order to take something new and move forward. So a big part of this is just restraining yourself, restraining yourself from talking about the success before you're even close to having it and also restraining yourself from just having that little elevator pitch type answer that can soothe the ego, but doesn't give you the opportunity in the mini-deaf to actually take on more knowledge. 
He says that we're going to always, always, always come up against slights, dismissals, little fuck yous, one-sided compromises. We're going to get yelled at. We're going to have to work late. We're going to have to do extra work to salvage something that somebody else stuffed up. There are all these times throughout our journey that things are going to go wrong and you're going to feel like it's an attack against you. But what we really need to do is rather than attacking back, coming from a place of ego, we need to restrain ourselves. We need to keep our ego in check, realize that it's not a personal attack, realize that uh, to use his other book, Obstacle as a Way, it can be a bit of an obstacle to get through. And rather than fighting back, you've got to do nothing. You've got to just take it and endure it. We're still in the aspiration phase now. So we've got to quietly brush off any of these setbacks that come our way, play the game and work even harder. Yeah, it is tough. In all of this, there's big dangers in this early pride when you're at this stage before you've had success. Someone out there might start calling themselves an entrepreneur just because they quit their job and they aren't someone who's an employee and it just doesn't feel right. Well, there might be someone who writes an article on Medium and starts calling themselves a writer. Like, you mean, you wrote jack shit, you're not an author. <laughs> or there might be someone who calls themselves an investor because they've bought a stock, but in reality, they've got hardly anything in their portfolio. I'll probably fall in one of those categories. <laughs> so do you, I'd say. Oh, yeah, most certainly. And there's, uh, there's all these times where we like to toot our own horn before we've even done anything and throughout almost every culture there are warnings against it like don't count your chickens before they hatch don't cook the sauce before you catch the fish i haven't heard that one but it sounds pretty good um mm. the way to cook a rabbit is to first first catch a rabbit yeah it's a funny one oh, okay. <laughs> and so that's so there's all these warnings out there in popular culture uh saying you know don't have this sense of ego but we always violate these by quitting our job and calling ourselves an entrepreneur there is the old saying, say little, do much, and simply just don't boast. There's no upside at all in boasting. There's only downside in propping your ego up when you've got nothing to show for it. I uh, like this slap up here. There was three dot points here, and I circled them and just wrote bang because I probably need to hear these myself. There's three fundamental realities when you're just starting out. Firstly, you are not nearly as good or as important as you think you are. Secondly, you have an attitude and it really needs to be readjusted. And thirdly, most of what you think you know or most of what you've learned in books or in schools is probably out of date and almost definitely wrong. So yeah, cop that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cop that. (laughs) Cop that, Ashto. And the solution to you, Ashto, and anyone listening now in this (laughs) this phase and uh, it's very early before you might have runs on the board, and that's just to work, work, work. And just work your, your bloody ass off and don't tell people about it along the way. Yeah, there's Henry Ford here said, you can't build your reputation on what you're going to do, which is very true. No one gives a shit what you're going to do. It's all about the, the runs on the board. Yeah, most certainly. There was a, a poet who said that a poet's function is not to go out there and experience a poetic state. It's actually to arise, arouse that in others. So just going out there and doing cool shit and thinking you're a poet really doesn't make you a poet. And Ben Horowitz And Ben Horowitz, who's actually got a new book out at the moment, he said the hard thing isn't setting that big, hairy, audacious goal, as your mate Jim Collins might say. The hard thing isn't dreaming big. The hard thing is waking up in the middle of the night in the cold sweat when something's gone wrong, when that dream turns into a nightmare. And then we hit success. Here we're at the top of the mountain. We worked bloody hard to climb or at least the summit is inside, it's coming up, and now we have to face new temptations and new problems. Why is success when you're up the top here so ephemeral? It's because of bloody ego, it shortens it. 
whether a collapse is dramatic or a slow erosion, it's always possible and often unnecessary. We stop learning, we stop listening, and we lose our grasp on what really matters. We become the victims of ourselves and the competition. Sobriety, open-mindedness, organization, and purpose, these are the great stabilizers. They balance out the ego and pride. They come with achievement and recognition. To whatever success you've achieved, ego is the enemy. In part one, we spoke about becoming a student. Now, in part two, once we've achieved success, it's vital that we always stay a student. So, at first, once we've succeeded, we're going to find ourselves in new situations and facing new problems and there's always new things to learn. Perhaps a freshly promoted soldier now has to learn the art of interpersonal relations and politics. The salesman needs to learn how to manage. The founder needs to learn how to delegate. The writer needs to learn how to edit or the chef now needs to learn how to run the restaurant. Ryan says, as our our island of knowledge grows, so does the shoreline of our ignorance. That's a good one. Mm. So, it doesn't matter how much more you learn or what stage you get to, the higher you go up, your ignorance is just going to increase exponentially, proving that it's important to always be a student no matter where you are. An amateur is someone who's defensive. Maybe they've achieved success and their ego wants them to cling on to that image, that icon they've built of themselves being a success. That's the amateur. Instead, the professional actually finds learning enjoyable and sometimes they even like getting proven wrong and being shown up. They like to be challenged. They like to be humbled. They engage in education as if it's this ongoing and endless process. Peter Drucker, the great man, he says it's not enough simply to want to learn. As people progress, they must also understand how to learn and set up processes to facilitate this continual rigorous education. Otherwise, we're dooming ourselves to this short-sighted sense of self-imposed ignorance. Yeah, we need to learn from everything and everyone, from the people you beat and the people who beat you, from the people you like and the people who are assholes. At every step, no matter what happens, there's always an opportunity to learn. Even when you fail, you might suck at something and the world is clearly telling you through failure in a whole bunch of different ways, but your ego might not let you buy into that story of failure. Uh, but if you, if you don't let the ego have its way, then you can actually take on these lessons. It's very human to craft a story and we often tell ourselves stories along this journey. Uh, the ego needs these kinds of honors and these kinds of recognitions in order to be validated. Ryan tells us about the NFL coach, Bill Walsh. He took over as the coach of the 49ers in 1979. At the time, they were the worst team in the league and they'd won two games. They'd lost 14. In his first year as coach, they lost another 14 games. Halfway through his second year as coach, he nearly quit because the team was going so poorly. And then by the end of his third year as coach, they'd climbed from the bottom and won the Super Bowl. Now, that's a pretty sick story. That's, that's a, a good pretty, story. That's a yeah. pretty sexy story. And you if could, I was Bill, I'd be, I'd be you know, <laughs> signing deals and book deals and just selling that story everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Looking back, it sounds phenomenal. But in the moment, if he told himself the story halfway through saying that, oh, I'm on, I've got this perfectly planned story here. You know, three years on, I'm going to be winning the Super Bowl, going from the bottom. There's going to be some a rocky road ahead. It doesn't work like that. We can't just perfectly plan out our story in advance and we can't in the moment realize, oh, there's a sick story ahead of me. It's only looking back in hindsight that we pick out the highlights and tell ourselves this story. 
it kind of feels nice to hear stories like Big Bill so we can have this grand vision. We can set up this, I'm going to work hard and in three years, I'm going to win the Super Bowl. We'd like to think other people have got this crazy story where we've picked out three highlights and it lines up nicely because it feels good to us. But it's really all a crock of shit and that's not how life works at all. It's a common thread through a lot of books that our brain works through narrative structures with heroes and villains and you've got the hero's journey and the call to action where someone sucked at the start and they went on this journey, had some helpers along the way, took down a dragon, got the gold. We put this kind of narrative through everything we do and and this is actually how we see the world. But in reality, if you looked at it rationally, the path isn't really set out perfectly from the very start. Only instead, looking backwards, we can see the highlights and cobble together this narrative. So Ryan says that whatever we're doing, instead of telling ourselves about the grand vision, about the future that comes ahead, we just got to sort of focus on the present moment and remain focused on execution and remain focused on getting back to work. If we picture the crown up ahead of us at the end of the journey, that's, gonna, that's our ego leading us towards failure. Instead, by focusing purely on the execution, that's what's going to keep us in the realm of success. One of the biggest risks in this realm of success, once it's all going pretty well, is envy and simply wanting more. If you're on this hedonic treadmill where you've never got enough, you know, you might have this goal of what the end game is for you. Once you get to the end game, you just extend it further and further and further. It ends up in ambitions that will never satisfy you. And not only that, might be one of the biggest risks to your overall downfall. Ryan tells a story of Ulysses S. Grant, I guess really America's greatest war veteran in terms of crafting the the win of the the Civil War for the Union and Really, it was, uh, he was a, an incredible bloke, achieved incredible success. But what happened was after he got to this level of success, he just wanted more and more and more and sort of the, it creeped out into more and more different areas. So he was already the best military man there was and the best strategist there was. So after this, he ran for president because he wanted to beat people and become the president. After that, he was looking to all these people that had so much money. He wanted to become a millionaire. So he invested in this great scheme to become rich turns out to be a Ponzi scheme and he actually became uh, publicly, he went bankrupt. Mm. So rather than being content with the success he had in the field he had, he started to creep out. He didn't want to just have more for himself. He wanted to beat everybody else. He wanted to become the president. He wanted to become a millionaire. And even after he achieved success, ego led him towards failure. Yeah, when you start looking at other people, you can get envious and then that's how you decide you want more and more and more. I think as Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger said, the world's economy isn't run by greed, it's run by envy. Mm. So you might be getting some good returns in the stock market, which greed might have been the one, the impulse, and you want 8, 9, 10% or whatever. But if your mate's getting 15, 16%, <laughs> you're like, oh, fuck, it means nothing. You're going to go out there and get riskier and riskier investments. All of us waste precious life doing things we don't like to prove ourselves to people we don't respect to get things we don't want. Bang. That's a bit of a banger. <laughs> that's, so what, a good, that's a good banger. So ego leads to envy and it rots the bones of people big and small. Yeah, it's like running a race. What we should be doing when we're running a race is sticking to our lane, looking forward and focusing purely on our own race. But what ego does when it creeps in, it makes us glance sideways. We look at the races that other people are running, we're comparing ourselves to them and that ego leads us to veer off track. And rather than trying to win our own race, we start trying to beat other people. Yeah, we need a bit of self-reflection here and think what's truly important to us and take steps towards that. And if someone else in the lane next to you values something else and is doing better in terms of that goal, 
it doesn't really matter because you just got to worry about what's in front of you and the things that you value. Matt, I had something come up during the week, which was uh, lucky I was reading this book and it allowed me to switch the ego off a little bit. So working at this marketing agency, we you know have six, eight, ten different clients on the go at one time. Uh, we went out and met with this new potential client, myself, the boss and one other person at a, a similar, doing the same role as me at a similar level but sort of like a year my junior, I guess. And on the way back, it was a successful meeting and the boss said to the other person, hey, these guys really liked you and you're going to run this project. And my <laughs> ego kicked in and the ego straight away was like, you know, telling things, you know, I'm better than this person, I'm more likable, I like why didn't they like me? This is bullshit. They should have like, that was just a full ego attack. He didn't yeah. say anything about they didn't like, they didn't say, he didn't say they didn't like you. He just said that they did like the other person. And so my ego spun that into this wild story. Another narrative there. Yeah, full narrative that I'd spun out of control. So then thankfully, having read this book, I was able to take a step back and think of a few things, whether perhaps it was like a, I couldn't, it wasn't the right fit for me anyway. Like this client, it wasn't me, it was much better suited to her. Um, she was better than this and maybe there's a lesson there. Maybe that I, I was shit in that meeting. Maybe she was more like, well, maybe she offered better ideas. So rather than thinking it was an ego attack saying that this person's better than you, I think it's probably a few lessons there for me. So your ego's been slapped up a few, a few times this week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be back in full force. <laughs> Give her two weeks, you'll be back. third phase is failure. Here, we're experiencing the trials endemic to any journey. Perhaps we failed. Perhaps our goal turned out to be a little harder than we'd anticipated. And no one is permanently successful. Not everyone finds success on their first attempt. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to do, there's going to be some kind of failure along the way. We all deal with setbacks. And ego not only leaves us unprepared for these circumstances, it actually probably contributed to our failure in the first place. The way through, the way to rise again requires a reorientation and increased self-awareness. We don't need to pity ourselves. We don't need to pity anyone else. We just need a purpose, poise and patience because to whatever failure and challenges we will face, ego is our enemy. It's a common thread failure through everybody who has made it through to the process of big success. For example, J.K. Rowling found herself seven years after college with a failed marriage, no job. She was a single parent with kids she could hardly feed and she was approaching homelessness. So that was a pretty down time. Mm -hmm. A young Lyndon Johnson, he's beaten up by a farm boy over a girl, shattering his pitch for himself as the big boy in town. So there's many different ways to hit rock bottom, but as I said, almost everyone is going to do it at some way at some point on your own journey. Malcolm X wasn't Malcolm X at this point of the, the journey. He was his name was Detroit Red, and he was really. A bit, <laughs> well, I guess so. He he did a whole bunch of different stuff. He he was selling drugs. He did some armed robbery. He worked as a pimp. He ran a burglary gang. Finally, at some point, he got arrested. He was aged twenty one. Uh, he was trying to sell an expensive watch that he'd stolen. He was carrying a gun at the time. He was sentenced to ten years in prison, and he faced a vitally important decision that Robert Greene says is either a lifetime or dead time. All of us are going to face this fork in the road at some point in time. Dead time, that's where we're just passive and waiting or a live time, that's when we're learning, acting and utilizing every second. For Malcolm X, his option was dead time would be 10 years in prison, sitting there waiting to get out and not improving along the way. Instead, he chose a live time. 
He chose to learn. He taught himself to read by getting a pencil and a dictionary and copying out every single word and definition from cover to cover by hand. From there, he went on to read books in history, sociology, religion, classics, philosophy. Whenever someone asks him uh, what school he went to, he says books. Yeah, he chose a lifetime. Every moment of failure someone has or situation that is like this, we've got that situation to choose from. I think nothing gets lower than what Viktor Frankl endured in uh, the Nazi concentration camps. Mate, you could just, you're suffering one of the worst ordeals in human experience of all time. Most of us, you choose this dead time, you'd roll over or whatever. But Viktor Frankl in this moment, he chose a lifetime. He started preparing all the material to write a book that really has affected millions of people since his experiences and made all these experiences that he went through worthwhile in the long run. Holiday's given a few other examples here. Francis Scott Key was a prisoner on a warship during the War of 1812. During this time, he wrote a poem that later became the US National Anthem. Ian Fleming, after he'd written a few Bond novels, he'd been working too hard and he was the doctor said, if you write another Bond novel, you're going to be cooked. You're going to destroy yourself physically. So instead, he wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, yeah. uh, which, I, which turned out to be pretty good. Walt Disney was in hospital after stepping on a rusty nail. That's where he drew his first cartoons and that really kicked off his journey. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. They're all pretty epic. Um, for most listeners, it can be failure in a different way. I think if you just something happens like you say if you lose your job or something like that and you find yourself you got seven days a week you can do dead time to sit on the couch and be like and be a bit of a victim if you choose a live time you might take it as an opportunity to think about what other skills if i add it to my skill set are going to make me more and more valuable so in the long run it's actually going to be a end up being a net positive experience being laid off from this job because i'm going to be more valuable for my next employer for the rest of my career I think that's a great lens to look at the world through. You've always got the decision, dead time or a lifetime. And I think uh, especially for that example of losing your job, education is essentially free now. You can go mm. out there and learn anything you want. There's so many things I wish I could learn that if you really think about it, you'll end up at the point like, shit, I wish I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Uh, another important thing is to differentiate or separate the results and the effort. So, obviously, results are great, but if we're in this point of failure, the results haven't quite gone our way. Instead, we need to recognize that effort is vitally important. Marcus Aurelius, uh, in the book we recently did, Meditations, he says that ambition means tying your well-being to what other people say or do. Sanity means tying it to your own actions. So, you can work really hard and make some kind of project, release it out into the world. It flops. It's a failure. If you're destroyed by this failure because of the results that occurred, you're going to be stuck in wallowing in your own sorrow. Instead, you need to realize that the effort itself was enough and it's time to inject the next piece of effort into your next project. Once the failure happens, separate the incident from yourself. Don't attach your ego to the failure and then just move on to the next thing. Holiday talks about the scouting of Tom Brady. Out of all the people playing NFL, He's probably the one name that is a household name, I'd say, all around the world. I don't know any other NFL players other mm. than Tom Brady. Probably also because he got up to a bit of mischief at some stage, didn't he? He was I like, don't know. did he? No, I think he was. Um, he probably sent a few dick pics. No, no, that was no. It was else. the um, he was doing gambling for dog fights or something along those lines. <laughs> was he? I think so. Well, someone can fact check me. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't get sued by Tom Brady. 
<laughs> he, he could fucking take me for all I'm worth with his, his team of lawyers. But he was actually taken as the sixth round at the 199th overall pick. So at the very, very start, you know, he didn't look like anything special. Not long into his career, he started winning Super Bowls. So up until now, he's played in nine Super Bowls and won six of them. And you could look at it and say, hey, that scouting team, they're superstars. It was a pretty bloody good pick by them. Yeah, imagine that. You, you get the best quarterback in history and you got him at pick 199. You that's could free. look at that. It's a freebie. <laughs> that's a freebie. You could look at that and say, that's a phenomenal job by those recruiters. But instead, what they did was they applied their own rigorous assessment to it and said, this is ridiculous. This is the best guy in history. And we waited until our own sixth pick. We picked five other guys ahead of him. There was 198 other opportunities for other teams to steal him away from them. And even more so than that was that in his first year, he didn't get a game. And it wasn't until their main quarterback got injured halfway through the year where he was actually given an opportunity to prove himself. So what the team did was they applied their own scorecard to it. The external scorecard says six Super Bowls, pick 199, that's a big tick of approval. But their internal scorecard said, this is ridiculous. How do we miss him? How do we let him slip through to our sixth pick and the 199th pick overall? So your own potential is the thing you should be measuring yourself against, not the performance of all those around you. Some people out there, they can get lucky and win. People can be an arsehole and win. Basically, anyone can win, but not everyone out there is the best version of who they can be. If you think of some examples, if you write a book, you might your goal might be to hit the New York Times bestseller list. That's putting it way outside your control. Instead, you need to have this internal locus of control, keep your own scorecard, and that scorecard might be making the best possible book you can you can make. Perhaps it's in sports. The external scorecard would be winning the medal, but the internal scorecard is making a personal best time. So this is the book by Ryan Holiday. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. You're going to be one of these three places. You're going to be aspiring to do great things. You might be lucky enough to reach the place where you've done great things, or you might have hit rock bottom. But in each three case, you're going to find that ego is the enemy. 